Hello and welcome to Jump Cuts, a podcast about movies. My name is Charlie and I am joined by my co-host Will. Hello. And Park. Hello. This week we watched 2021 Best Documentary winner at the Oscars, Summer of Soul, directed by Questlove. Uh, so, this movie, I mentioned the last time I picked a documentary, which was The Tinder Swindler. <laughs> <laughs> uh that this was on my radar and i wanted to watch it and pick it and i didn't have the brain capacity for a movie about a serious topic at the time but now i do so here we are i picked it finally we're doing it uh so summer of soul perhaps a little tricky to recap because it is a documentary it won an oscar for best documentary but it's kind of half that and half concert film. And I suppose you could call a concert film a form of documentary if you wanted to. But a lot of this movie is just the raw footage that they recovered of performances at the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. There's not a lot to, you know, analyze or riff on there. It's music being played and it's good. It's great. There's some really great captures of performances that were lost to time in this and we will talk about that but the documentary component of it is mostly just intercut uh interviews no not really any narration it's really just interviews that Questlove was conducting with people who were there and with some of the artists talking about their experience at this thing that had sort of became lost to time and overshadowed by Woodstock which was happening at the same time with some overlap, the Harlem festival was six weeks. Woodstock was three days during the same summer. Uh, coincidentally, the documentary film Woodstock won Oscar for best documentary in 1971. So with that in mind, just going to dive sort of straight into what the point of this movie is, because it is pretty direct with that as good documentaries are, right? It's sort of, speaks for itself it is it's not a thing that's here to be like <laughs> interpreted it is showing us something and it is telling us what's going on and what was going on was a art and music and cultural festival that was sort of the culmination of a lot that was going on with both the civil rights movement at the time and before this the way that that you know made some progress faltered in some ways, got to Vietnam, and now we have new problems. Combine that with the music at the time, the culture at the time, and sort of the birth of what became modern black culture in arts and politics beyond that. And this is sort of in the same way that Woodstock is held up as this thing that's like Woodstock and then Manson, and that is the end of the hippie era of the 60s. It you know ran into the nothingness of the drug burnout or whatever the fuck they'd call it. And I don't know, CIA headquarters, but <laughs> <laughs> whereas the Harlem cultural festival on the other hand was, is sort of a more victorious and celebratory thing ultimately where it's like, we're not where we want to be, but some progress was made and we, there's a new, cultural identity that is being born and is a celebration of that. And in that context, the concert footage is really cool. And there's some really great performances that mm -hmm. I enjoyed. There were some, you know, artists in here that I 
recognized songs, but probably couldn't have put a name to if you asked me to before this, like a uh, Sly and the Family Stone. If you had played Everyday Everyday People, I would recognize that song. I would not have put it to the name of that group. But that performance yeah. was awesome. That was one of my favorite ones. That was a great one. Yeah, that, that, that was up there. And like the, the what are they called? Like the lead singer, he's like the proto prince. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That kind of that kind of checked out. Like all the way up down to like the way he dressed and like carried himself. It was mm-hmm. really cool. That and uh, what's that song? Like Age of Aquarius. Yeah. That was great. That song, like uh, everyone's heard that song like a million times. <laughs> was that uh, seen any movie about like the seventies? And it's like, oh, I didn't realize like they kind of give you the history behind that song. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any of that. You know what it makes me think of? I hate to say this, but it's forty year old version. <laughs> that's exactly what Chelsea yeah. said when we were watching the film. But I can the- remember discovering that song in high school and not understanding any of the cultural significance to it, but like. It was one of those songs that was so caught up in my head and my car didn't have a functioning radio. I had to burn CDs to play music in my old Ford. And I would play that song on repeat going to and from school sometimes. <laughs> it's a banger. It's a banger, it's banger such a good song. <laughs> it's, it's great. But yeah, and that I think those in particular performances, that in uh, Stevie Wonder kind Stevie of Wonder. encapsulates the, the Nina moment. Simone, man. Yeah, Nina Simone, that was also amazing. They're, they're all, every performance that was on here was great. Yeah, the lineup was actually um, insane. Like, it's yeah, wild. It's crazy. <laughs> when you look at it, yeah, it's it's insane that this is not a thing that was more well-known until recently, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But I think Sly and the Family Stone, uh, Stevie Wonder, and uh, Fifth Dimension sort of really encapsulate the the cultural moment that is being captured here where you have the transition from the like Gladys Knight Temptations era of Motown where they talk about this in the documentary about how there was a lot of emphasis on very air quotes classy presentation right with like suits and dresses and all that stuff into taking the psychedelic influences of the 60s and having some more fun with the music right yeah but still like <laughs> comparing this to like woodstock just to, like so much more like civilized and like well behaved <laughs> yeah <laughs> compared to like exactly. the shit show that was woodstock <laughs> I don't, like yeah. i even love like when people were starting to push i think it was like when sly and the family stones were coming on and people were like really starting to try to get to the front and the guy leading it all was like, no, 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 no. And like, if you don't calm down, we're just going to cancel the whole thing. Yeah, and, and everybody listened. stopped. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, yeah, great juxtaposition to Woodstock where all the footage is just like people fucking overdosing in a mud pit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also, I recently watched the Woodstock 99 documentary. Oh, which God. Is, man, that shit is wild. Worse. It is like the polar opposite of this documentary uh, <laughs> in every way. It's really something it's like Woodstock, but instead of Jimi Hendrix's like Limp Bizkit or some shit. Although honestly, like that that documentary tried to like blame Limp Bizkit for the, the it's like, the dumbest <laughs> shit. I've, it's actually the dumbest shit I've ever. They're like trying to blame new metal, and there were like two new metal acts out of like forty. It was ridiculous. But that's hilarious. That's it. Th- that is an entirely different conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, this by all accounts went off 
relatively without a hitch, which is amazing for something that ran over six weeks in a very heavily black and Puerto Rican part of town where, you know, like, you know, the cops are trying to start shit all the time. They talk about that with, they had black Panthers running security instead of police that rule. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's cool. So there's the cultural moment is one component of it. And I, like I said, you, a documentary speaks for itself. This one does, especially, and especially for us, like we're three white dudes sitting here talking about this. We're not going to, you know, this is <laughs> not a experience that we relate with our own history. We're not going to sit here and try and tell you what we think really happened at the yeah. Harlem also, Cultural Festival of 1969. Yeah, also we were born in the 90s. So it's yeah, like, also uh, we were born 30 <laughs> years later. <laughs> but, you know, what we can do is say, hey, this is what it's about. If you haven't heard of it, and I had never heard of this festival until I saw this movie pop up on Hulu. If you haven't seen this movie pop up on Hulu yet, or if you're not a oscars person and even if you are who pays it who knows what one best documentary yeah this movie exists you should watch it you should see this cool thing that got lost to time for 50 years and that is the other part of it is it getting lost to time for 50 years so they had and i looked into this it was they had funding for the camera crew this guy wasn't just like he didn't just show up with a camera this was part of the plan as the festival was orchestrated by uh, tony lawrence was the name Mm mm-hmm of the the main organizer who's also like the MC uh who was great by the way every time Best, I showed him all of his outfits were amazing he looked so fantastic good every... <laughs> he had a costume change every time he came on stage Best yeah. dressed hands down for the entire <laughs> documentary For sure yeah there's a huge fashion component to this too which I just I know nothing about fashion in any time period but yeah he looked he looked great um Anyways, yeah. So the fil- so the filming was done by a guy named Hal uh, Tolchin, who lived in New York and had filmed. He uh, did filming for like commercials and local TV productions, and I think had done some concert filming before this. So he came on board with basically like four cameras to just get some angles of the stage in the crowd and shoot a bunch of footage for this thing with the hope that they could get some TV specials, which is what you would do in the sixties and seventies with concert footage. And actually the, so the movie leads off with like a, the footage was lost for 50 years and that's mostly true. Uh, it did run in two separate two hour TV specials, uh, one on ABC and one on CBS. I think it said in 1972, I don't know why it took three years, but that was part of this is that it was just, he could not get anybody to bite, uh, because, well, racism. Yeah. yeah. It also, you know, in comparison to Woodstock, lacked the sensationalism of that. So, got a little bit of airtime and some TV specials. And then after that, just nothing with the other 40 hours of footage that he had until 2003. And according to several interviews with this guy uh, named Joe. Lounge, something like that. I forgot the name. Um, who <laughs> <laughs> basically discovered somehow in conversation with Tolshin figured out that he had all of this footage 
and it was like he's a guy that had a uh, digital archive or had a film archive where they would digitize things touch them up if needed and categorize and then rent out historical footage or license it out to people to make movies documentaries newsreels whatever with joe lauro so he made a deal to do that yeah in 2003 with a plan of making a documentary out of this ultimately it fell through because apparently they had some discussions about doing just a single documentary film and then Tolson was like i want to do a series and then it just sort of petered out eventually the contract expired uh how Tolson died in 2017 and the people that he had later archived the footage with in a similar fashion had some producers who then went to quest love and were like we want to make a movie out of this you are quest love <laughs> uh you know how to get things made please help yeah. us please help us. and he did love. and they yeah. made it which is good yeah so i bring up the uh, original archive guy because there's a ton of interviews with him from shortly after this movie came out and not to uh, ascribe intent to anybody but it really seemed like he wanted some credit uh, <laughs> for doing the initial archiving because i just when you look up how did this get made there's just a bunch of interviews with this guy who didn't actually have anything to do with how it got made. He just wanted people to know that I knew about it first. Uh, He was a hipster for it all. Yeah. Basically. So ultimately though, probably good that it got made by Questlove and not three white guys. Yes. Yeah. Extremely Uh, good. Although man, it's a shame it didn't get turned into a series because my kind of whole like, opinion on this movie is like it has all these moments that are like the start of a much more interesting story and mm-hmm. then it just moves on to the next one and gives like a really like um, like kind of like a like a history textbook chapter on like a decade will just give you like a paragraph on everything yeah it like and this isn't even like this isn't like all bad that it's doing this but it's just like it'll give you the first paragraph of like all these really interesting important things that are happening around this cultural festival mm-hmm. uh, and then it just moves on to the next one and it's like I would I think this would have been so cool if they did like a 10 part series and they were like and they had the Black Panthers working security this is the Black Panther hour with like, you know, and yeah. like, well, you know, we'll cover music and stuff for any musicians that might have had any relation to them. And then like, oh, and also there was like heroin, like had hit uh, Harlem at the time. And let's talk about that. And, you know, uh, there was this all this like the concept of black identity had come up and like we can do a whole hour on that, you know, like all these topics mm-hmm. that I wanted more <laughs> of, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they. I honestly, I hadn't thought about that, but I would love that now that you bring it up. Yeah, they did yeah. a great job turning a six week, six weekend long festival into a two hour documentary. Mm-hmm. But I do agree that it it could be very successful as a multi part series, or even, you know, a three part documentary. Do two more of these two hour features where you do get more into the significance of some of these acts and some of this music that came about and of this event in general, because it does very briefly touch on certain things. And like, sometimes it revisits them. Like it revisits the black Panthers at the end, 
Um, in that great scene where they're teaching the kids that uh, the pigs have the leader in jail and it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, like I, I would love to know more because this is such like a buried part of American history because Mm -hmm. it, it, it is black history in America that a lot of the powerful people in this country did everything they could to erase. Yeah, and that, yeah. I think that's the most, to me, the most interesting thing that this documentary sort of brings up is like the concept of like lost history. You know that like, yeah, how much history has happened that has been erased, and who erased it, and like how we're even lucky to have like just what we can see here in this, uh, like through this footage. But like, there's so much that like will never be able to be told in this way, right? And mm-hmm. Uh, stuff that I mean uh, I don't know about y'all but I don't remember any of this from like <laughs> history class and nope. this even at like this level of depth right so mm-hmm. I think just like this movie can go a long way of getting people interested in this period of history and then like you can do your own like uh, I, don't, I feel like saying do your own research make like is that a sound, you know like do your own research it sounds like some dodge. Okay, yeah. okay I'm avoiding that phrase you can uh, look into this stuff uh, at your leisure and like you know maybe look up there's a great Black Panther documentary that I forget the name of that kind of goes over their history that's really interesting um, but you can watch Judas and the Black Messiah if you don't want to watch a documentary yeah it, it this feels like a great jumping off point for anyone who's interested in this time period yeah uh, mm-hmm. or if you just like the music which like I'm not shocked that Questlove like we wanted to put a lot of like concert footage in because like that's really good too it's just my interest is more on the history side than the like you know i like stevie wonder and all but (laughs) like yeah (laughs) they could have they could have halved the length of all the concert footage and filled the rest with like more history stuff and i would have been happier basically i I will say that's just sort of a personal thing yeah i will say that like i also i i do agree that like i would love to see more but this was also not really a documentary necessarily about a lot of that stuff. This was a documentary specifically about this music festival that, I mean, like we've all said this, we had no idea this happened until this, you know, this documentary has made it to theaters and the Oscars and everything. We took an American studies class that went over a lot of stuff. And we talked about Woodstock. We talked about the summer of love. This was never once brought up. We talked about the issues of drugs in Harlem, the black Panthers, things like that. Never once did we talk about this massively culturally significant festival. Yeah. It's funny. I, so I, I may be misremembering this, but I think I've heard reference to because this was the third year that they ran this yeah. festival, and I think it was like the largest scale it achieved. One of the previous years, no, this is not correct. Never mind, my timeline is off here. I was thinking about uh, so there's an another underreported historical event, which is uh, so Fidel Castro's one visit to the United States when he went to New York and he went to Harlem and met with Malcolm X at a hotel in Harlem, uh, which was off schedule with the American police very much did not appreciate that, but it <laughs> We're was freaking like, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like pre 
missile crisis. That was like end of the fifties, early sixties. Yeah. It was not. Hence Castro being on U.S. soil and not being murdered, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. being shot on site. <laughs> that would not have happened at this time period. So I was, I was thinking it was something yeah. else. And like, um, this was also this was the year after Martin Luther King had been assassinated. So you know the yeah the difference. In, you know this being that first massive one you know, is almost in response to all of this, you know, this accepting, yeah. I mean, like they, they harp on it that like, it's like, it was the first time in America that like black people started using black to describe themselves, you know, and it was this huge yeah. cultural shift. And I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that yeah, either. I didn't know that either. I, I, I could, I wouldn't have been able to put a timeline. No, you asked me. I mean, this is, it's such a cool documentary that i just i learned so much that i never knew off of and it's been a while since i've watched a documentary that i knew nothing about the subject that yeah i think the, uh, that context made the uh when jesse jackson is speaking and then had the uh, mahalia jackson and uh mavis staples performance that was fantastic and obviously oh. had a lot of emotional punch with the the context of the assassination and the cut for the gunshot. I mean, that made Chelsea and I jump watching. That was that. a good cut. I think this is a really well edited document. Yes, yeah. um, I just punched my microphone. I apologize. Hopefully, I can cut that. <laughs> um, not a well edited podcast. <laughs> not a well yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Editing tiff. Um, but yeah, so that and then the Nina Simone performance incredible and that was mm -hmm. the uh sort of what they contextualize this is so this is where well i think you could really run with the uh making this into a, a series if you wanted to and the thing is they could still do this because they have all this footage now yeah they totally good um, yeah although i wonder how much of it is in truly good shape because there were a few parts of this where you could see there's like some artifacting in the film is just showing its age the the nina simone one unfortunately was one of those where they're just yeah. i mean i don't know what the hell you call it's not a scan line on film yeah <laughs> but something that looks like I, I, I wish yes, i knew more damaged. about like old film stuff but yeah it, yeah uh some of it looks uh, <laughs> i mean it looks like it was it's a film from 69 yeah. right it, it looks like it sat in a basement for 40 or 50 years yeah um but yeah i you could do a whole hour or two hours of just talking about that switching to using black as the descriptor and have the rest of Nina Simone's performance in there, have some of the other mm. ones. And that would be, I would watch that. You can do yeah. another hour on fashion hour on black Panthers hour on Puerto Ricans in Harlem. Yeah, you could do. There's I mean, you could do with this. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, Nina Simone alone. I, I, I maybe I'm biased. I, I think she has like one of the best like singing voices of all time. It's it's insane. But also, it was striking, and they did this with a few of the artists there. That uh, the songs that they chose, like the footage from, uh, were outside of like their. I guess best known songs. So mm -hmm. like I had never heard the um like backslide song by Nina Simone when she it's like sing basically uh singing to a conservative white man and being like, Go fuck yourself <laughs> in yeah. you know, much <laughs> prettier great. words, right? Um because like if 
before this, I didn't know a lot about Nina Simone other than that she was like a really good artist, right? Uh, and you know, I'd heard uh, like uh, a lot of her hits and stuff, but uh, this documentary showed her at like the most radical I have seen her, you know, um, like mm -hmm. with like the backslide song being so like politically like in your face and also really good. And then uh, that song, it had like that song from a play, which I honestly didn't like the song very much, but like the message was good. <laughs> it was like weird that it was like a Nina Simone song that because it, it felt very like almost like a, like closer to like a nursery rhyme or something. But are you talking yeah. about the like, you're not talking about the like slam poetry type one, right? Maybe that is what I'm talking about. I don't know. I just like, I think you're talking about, I think they showed two songs and then the poem. Yeah, because they had it was like a song that she had like adapted for like a play or something. Yeah, that, yeah, that wasn't the poem. That was something. Yeah, else. it's like the message was good from the song, but it, it just it didn't do it for me. But <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but they like, but then like after they have her play those songs, she's just like, like she like grabs the mic and is like <laughs> talking to the crowd, like, "Are you ready to kill some fucking white people?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah." I, I think that was the slam poetry. Yeah, that was during yeah. the slam poetry. I was poetry. like, oh my god, this room. <laughs> and you can see there's like five NYPD officers on the front row kind of just holding the line. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very funny as she's like, are you ready to break white stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Hell yeah. This is so sick. Yeah, it showed a, a side of uh, a lot of these artists that like white America at the time wasn't engaging with because and th this has sort of always been the case that like uh, white people are happy to listen to uh, black artists but only in like a very safe <laughs> context right mm -hmm. uh, so they would listen to uh, like Nina Simone songs that uh, don't offend them personally uh, all day but it, it, if she was being too politically charged uh, you know that would not hit the charts as well as uh, her other songs might, right? And she probably took a big, uh, like, financial hit being as, like, radical and as much of an activist as she was, right? Well, who, uh, who was that even said that, like, the record labels are like the NBA today? They're just, they said, like, you know, today they tell them just play basketball, and back then they told me just to play the drums. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, like, it's so cool that like this the, like i think the footage that they chose is very purposeful right it wasn't just like yeah. here's the hits from nina savone you know uh, <laughs> it's like here's the interesting stuff from her that made this concert unique mm -hmm. yeah they did a really good job of using the concert footage to construct the narrative and that's what i mean that's what a documentary is right that's what takes us from being a concert film to a documentary. Um, well, although I would love for them to just like take the rest of the footage and just like put it on YouTube or something. Yeah. <laughs> put it, put it up there for people to be able to watch. Cause that's part of the point of this is the, the value in having this archived. Cause like we've been talking about the, you know, the radical nature of a lot of the music gets ignored and buried, but also just the entire of it, itself got ignored and ultimately buried and there's so little 
record of it that you have people who were there trying to, you know, recall, like, did this happen? Was it as huge as I thought it was? And I think one of the most powerful parts of the movie is just is the very, very end when they're wrapping up. And it's just Questlove talking to Musa Jackson, who's one of the interviewees about who was he was there when he was 13, I think. And him just watching the footage and being like, I, I'm not crazy. This, this happened. It was big. It was, yeah. it was as big as I thought the artists I thought were there were there. It was big and it was important. And I'm glad that we have a record of that now. Yeah. He, he was that like moved matters. to tears from it. Right. Which is yeah. not something that like, cause when you first, I, honestly, when I first heard like, Oh, it's about like a music festival, like a concert. I'm like, well, like most of those aren't really a big deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, they happen all the time. And like, uh, but, you know, the, it does a good job of showing why this one was important. <laughs> this one was yeah. a big deal, at least to the people who attended it. And also like the cultural like context around it is like it, it it's just like a really vibrant point in history that is worth like looking at, you know. Mm-hmm. So now we can uh, have all our hilarious jokes about this. <laughs> <laughs> Time to run our bits. <laughs> run all our bits. Do some riffing. I think there was exactly one thing that made me laugh in this. What was it? It was... It is entirely due to, like, uh, I guess, like, my own insanity. <laughs> it was when they were talking about... Uh, they were talking about, like... It was, like, really brief, but uh, when they had that section about, uh, like, fashion at the time and kind of how, uh, like, dashikis were popular in the U.S. around this time, which actually I didn't know, right, that, like, Uh. this was the time period where that was, like, popularized. Uh, And everyone, you know, was, like, uh, saying their piece about it and talking about, like, what it meant and how it was a way to sort of, like, form like this new concept of like a black identity as like a political group right Mm -hmm. uh and i'm like all right great this is like cool and then like one guy starts talking about it uh and he describes it as just like like look like i'm free i can move in any direction (laughs) and i was like uh, he reminded me of like mac from it's always sunny in the duster (laughs) (laughs) And God, yeah, that's the only that's the only time I laughed. Yeah. And it that was it's just like the one dude who's like kind of weird about it was really funny to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I guess you really do have range of motion. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the uh the trick with doing a documentary like this, isn't it? That is like both well, okay, I guess all documentaries on most levels are serious, but typically the ones that, like, catch some kind of virality in our modern era here are streaming docu-series or sometimes just a single film that are about something ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. which has been the case for all the ones we've done, not to call the JFK assassination ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, but, it was ridiculous in a it, different way than the Tinder yeah. swindler, but it was still ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's something that you can either just run in all kinds of like conspiratorial rift directions with, like that, or the the Waco thing. I mean, the Waco thing is less conspiratorial and more just like, see, we told you the FBI was bad. See, do you see the violence inherent in the system? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, Tinder, Tinder Swindler and uh, the WeWork thing, ridiculous. Yeah, just <laughs> inherently. Yeah. In their own right. <laughs> this movie not not ridiculous. I yeah. don't have any conspiracies to run with here. It's not about a guy called the Tinder Swing. Yep. Yeah. It, it's pretty. Although as serious as like the overall subject matter is, I think they did a really good job of like. And I think any documentary about like like an old music festival or something like this. Uh, it's probably going to try to do something like this, which is good, uh, is like creating a sense of nostalgia for the whole event, right? Like they they interviewed a lot of people who were just like attendees and they would talk about like uh, lying to their mom about like, oh, I'm staying at a friend's <laughs> house and then like sneaking over to like the concert. And like it wasn't, it, it gave a lot, like a, a really good like human element to like the crowd and like, who was there right like it made it, it gave a story not only to like the the acts and like the history around it but like the the crowd itself right like it gave you a little bit of summertime flavor uh, about like ooh, let's all like sneak out or walk down the block and go to this uh free festival and stand in the heat for a few hours <laughs> mm. pretty cool you know one thing i do want that we didn't really touch on i do want to talk about that I found interesting just because of like how my own personal views have even shifted on stuff like this. And it's when they talk about the moon landing and, you know, like when you talk about the American (laughs) moon landing, it's always this like great achievement that everybody was happy about, you know, like that one weird guy they interviewed was like, I think the whole world's a little bit closer together, even though we were in like the peak of the cold war and no, we weren't. Um, (laughs) They were not. (laughs) But everybody at the festival is like, yeah, it's like, it's cool and all, but what else could we have done with that money? We could have helped so many people with that money. And, you know, you never really think about that from like the first moon landing, but then you look at it today with like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all of their projects. And what's the insane guy, Virgin Galactic dude. Um, He's fucking crazy. Yes. Like all these people spending billions of dollars to send just like themselves privately into space. It's like, what could that money do for the world? And like my views on this, like I now I don't like I don't get where they were coming from, but like I agree with them more in the sense of like, yeah, what there's so much more you can do than just send your penis shaped rocket up into the lower atmosphere. Like, (laughs) right. And or upper atmosphere, like, Anytime you're taught in school about the moon landing, it's like, and everyone loved it and it was great. Yeah. But like, they don't get into it. It's like, it's like, no, like a lot of Americans like didn't care or were outwardly against this like dick measuring contest with the Soviets. Right. And like, yeah, on top of, I mean, we had already moved the goalpost, right? Because they beat us to space. So we were like, uh, the moon, the moon's the goal now, actually. (laughs) We were always going to the moon first. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing. It's like, 
going to the moon and space exploration, those things are cool and they're good and they have value in a vacuum. It's what we gave up for it in the context of how we got there, right? Because like yeah. the Mercury and Gemini programs were just a way to subsidize getting Nazis to develop ICBMs for us. Yes. That was why the federal government budgeted for that. So we could shoot a bunch of rockets, which again were made by Nazis, and then figure out, okay, now how can we put a nuke on top of them and drop them on Russia? Yeah. That was the only reason that the space <laughs> program existed. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> uh, which I I welcomed it today, right? They they brought that up. Some of the people they interviewed in that part talked about mm-hmm. that. Like, why are we flying to space and making bombs and sending a disproportionate number of black people to the front line in Vietnam and spending more money on weapons than any other country on Earth? dude hello welcome to 2022 where we're still doing yes. that uh, <laughs> every literally almost every single progressive argument and like concern of that time is still being argued today in exactly the same way yes <laughs> right yeah. like there have been like gains in the civil rights like area but just barely and that is mm-hmm. it <laughs> like it is one of the most depressing things about this was seeing people like, yeah, like seeing the, like, oh, why'd they spend all this money on, uh, like the moon landing instead of like helping my neighborhood, giving some of that money here, working on like, you know, all these people are ODing on heroin and yeah. I'm like, oh my God, things are exactly the same oh, yeah. 50 <laughs> years later, <laughs> literally out of, that was the most like doomer i felt in the whole movie uh, <laughs> just things didn't get better at all I, uh, this all that changed is like they charge for this concert now <laughs> like this sucks <laughs> god that's true you wouldn't even be able to go for free nope oh man yeah, the only major free concert events i'm aware of in our city in our lifetime was the two times that the final four was here mm-hmm. when we were in uh middle school and high school yeah it was here twice in like five yep. years for some reason <laughs> um and the first time there was like a free dave matthews band concert i, I learned <laughs> that the, i do not like dave matthews live at that concert. I was, yeah okay i was thinking i was like you went to one of these the other time it was like muse or something it might have been maybe i'm thinking of no, the same the second one the second one it it was like i think ludicrous was part of it because it was free but there was a limited amount of tickets still and then when yeah. Ludacris came on, people just tore down the fences. <laughs> Hell yeah, that rules. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then a few years later, they had the uh, when they had the college national championship here, they had uh, Kendrick perform in the same park in Centennial. That was not free. <laughs> I I still oh, really? I didn't even try to go because I was like, as much as I like Kendrick's music, like. I would imagine just being anywhere near the stage would become impossible. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, it was really cold. It was like 20 degrees out and they were like making him, it was like a 10 minute set cause it was a halftime show and they were making him censor himself. No, that, that was the yeah, thing was is that lame. he didn't, he, 
didn't censor himself, the footage was on a like solid 30 second delay or the sound oh, was yeah, that yeah. it was terrible to watch on TV because it was off by 30 seconds because they were censoring him as he was singing. <laughs> yeah, uh, he also had I those like <laughs> that was the time that he had like the weird balloon shoes on. That was a <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember those. I shoes. don't remember that part. <laughs> Georgia lost. That's all I remember. Yeah, um, that's that's what's important. Exactly. Actually, that might not have been the same. I year. don't remember. <laughs> Georgia's lost a couple of them. I think they, this whatever. was the. I think this was an Alabama Clemson year. That ha- that Kendrick was singing. You might be right. I think you're right. Charlie's in his Georgia State shirt right now. (laughs) Go Panthers. Hey, I might be saying the same thing soon. Go Panthers. (laughs) I mean, I I don't have much else for this one because, like, there's a lot in this documentary, but we are not the right people to, like, describe it in the best way to experience it's just to go watch it i mean that's that's all i can really say it's on hulu it's on disney plus as well i think because they're the same now uh yeah i'm trying to think of anything that i missed that lin-manuel miranda makes he shows up which was a little funny i was (laughs) I, i did laugh at that when he showed up yeah i was just i mean he was like pretty normal i don't know he just like gave a pretty like bog standard interview right but mm-hmm. uh, it was just like weird seeing like oh hello <laughs> I, I made what are you doing here? the guy who's like a really big fan of the people who founded the country that caused all these problems is just like here <laughs> uh, I, I did the, the problem misunderstander has logged on yeah right and you know it's like not that i mean obviously it's not like his fault that the founding fathers were shitty <laughs> it was just like weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the Lynn Manuel Miranda meme face at the TV when he showed up. <laughs> it just so it surprised me. Yeah, I was just not expecting him to appear. <laughs> yeah, that did that threw me off. Because yeah, there's not any other like. Well, I almost said there's not any other like celebrity interviews, and that's not true because they talked to like Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder, but yeah. not any other celebrity interviews that were not people who performed at the festival. Yeah. yeah. Did anyone have any like favorite acts or like people that maybe you like looked up after or like thought were cool? I mean, I always, yes. I always love a good like gospel saxophone piece and. Um, I haven't looked them up yet, but it's whoever played immediately after the whole Martin Luther King piece. And he was up there on a tenor saxophone. And that's coming from playing jazz for a little while. Like that is some of the most fun music to play because you really get into it up on stage. It's one that you're moving to while you're playing it. It's got this cool, unique sound. So that was one of my favorite parts is just hearing that that gospel saxophone throughout this whole documentary, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like grease bucket. I was loving the the guitars the whole time, just looking at the the guitars from the time. I was like, damn, that's a cool guitar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very yeah, cool. Yeah, the uh, 
Fly in the Family Stone, I think, was my favorite performance. The Stevie Wonder ones were great. BB King was great. I wish we got more BB King. Yep. Uh, footage because i i really liked yeah. that i just i really like bb king but then uh sunny Chirac, that was one where i i didn't know who sunny Chirac was and as soon as i heard him he was like he was playing like a hendrix style like heavy like lot of dirt in the tone solo on a semi hollow body jazz guitar with a slide i have never heard anything like that in my life it was sick i looked up some more stuff after i was like this dude shreds this this <laughs> uh so i was i was very glad to have been exposed to that discover something new that was that was cool yeah for me it was uh i hope i'm pronouncing this right but uh hugh masakela oh yeah because cool. i hadn't i, I recognized uh I'm, I'm like looked him up on spotify and like grazing in the grass and riot I had heard before, especially like that riff from riot. I had heard a million times and I just like never attributed it to him, but he was another artist that like, if you listen to like his first five songs on Spotify, they sound totally different from what music they showed him playing at this concert. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause like, uh, I mean, he, he's like a really, really talented at like the trumpet or like, I guess the slightly bigger trumpet. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's the uh, well. flugelhorn. Uh, flugelhorn. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously super talented at that, but uh, his vocal delivery was insane in that concert footage. Um, and he, I don't know what song he was doing. Like it's not in his like most like listen to songs. Uh, and it's had so much more energy than any of his like most popular songs that i I don't know like where it was coming from or if he was just like doing it all sort of like uh like freestyle just like off the top of his brain or something but like he uh his performance was like really uh like really impressive and just like I don't know I I I like singers with a lot of like grit and sort of almost like attitude in their voice and he really brought that mm-hmm. it's like so much energy <laughs> And I had never, I never like heard his name before, despite having heard a few of the songs. So that was cool. Yeah, all the performances were great. There was nothing where I was like, "Oh, this person was out of it or not feeling it that day or half-assed it or whatever." It was all, it was all killer. It was yeah. shot really well too for what yeah, they were working for, with, which was like four like, guys with cameras. Yeah, and they like didn't know this would be a documentary one day. They're just like, "Yeah, well, we should record this, I guess, because we have all these famous artists here." Yeah. Yeah, and like the quality of the sound was so good too. It's incredible. Like, compared, to like I don't know. Like I was thinking uh, about this. I was like, man, if I want like want to look up a lot of bands I like, like concert footage, it's always just like some guy's phone it's, or something. It's awful. <laughs> like yeah. terrible quality, right? Uh, but like this was like uh, just like really well done. It's like they knew it would be a documentary one day. Like it's like that level yeah. of like care that they put into capturing this. Uh, and like the only issues with any of the footage or the recording is just like probably due to time, right? Yeah, <laughs> just age wear on the film. Yeah, all the sound is, I mean, it's kind of mind blowing. I and I have to imagine that a lot of mastering went into this in the production phases of the documentary, but I mean, shit, you can't master a track to sound that good if it wasn't 
recorded well in the first place. They yeah. did something right with however they however they set up their bikes for this. It sounds really good. Yeah. Also, it helps that like a lot of the people they had up there were just incredibly good at performing live. Yeah. Right. Like unreal lineup. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, like Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, just like you know, they sound as good if not better live than the, like compared to the studio right like they yeah just were nailing it <laughs> so good uh and yeah i mean people would run each other over in line to get tickets for some of these artists today oh yeah right yeah people would i mean gladys knight i think still performs occasionally she was one of the ones they showed uh performing at the little concert they had in celebration of the movie in the in the same yep. park which is a cool thing they did, and I think that was last summer in 2021. Um, but yeah, I would man if I go to a BB King concert right now, I'd be going, <laughs> are you kidding me? That'd be sick. <laughs> I know. I was also I was amazed at how many of these artists are still around today. Um, like I honestly, like I knew people like Stevie Wonder were still alive. I didn't know any members of Fifth Dimension were still alive. Um, yeah, they look good. Yeah, they too. looked really good. Just the two they, yeah, they interviewed. Yeah, it was like... I thought Stevie Wonder was older than that. I didn't. Re- I didn't realize he was nineteen at the time. Of yeah, some. Yeah. So, this concert, and I didn't. Re- I didn't know he was still alive. I'm mean, gonna be honest. Some of those pictures they showed of him, he looked like a child. Yeah. Um, the only person that like I was trying to look up, like I wonder if this guy's still around. Uh, Tony Lawrence, the one who kind of led the whole thing. Yeah, the main organizer MC. Nobody knows if he's alive or dead. What, what? the fuck? <laughs> oh my god. There's a whole nother episode of, of our series. Um <laughs> it becomes a true crime or like discover if Tony Lawrence is alive. He got to like he got to the nineteen eighties and then he was doing like little one off shows in nightclubs here and there, but really was out of the public light. And Nobody really knows when the last time he was seen was. Nobody knows if he's alive or dead. There's no confirmations on anything. Um, because when I was reading an what's the are you just looking at Wikipedia well, right was, now or what's I, the source on I this? discovered this when I was reading the Rolling Stone article about this movie uh-huh. that they have not been able to find any confirmation on Lawrence's death or any record of his whereabouts. And so then I started looking into it more and yeah, no, nobody knows he like in mid 1980s, he just kind of stopped making public appearances and that was that. That's kind of badass. Um, At one point he claimed the mafia was after him. So that might've happened. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to find obituaries in, paper records if you're trying to figure out if somebody is alive so i don't know i like to think he's alive (laughs) i'm gonna go with that he's out there somewhere uh, i don't know hosting something (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well that's kind of a strange note to end this on but i i I think we've (laughs) Covered most of our bases. <laughs> yeah. Became a missing person story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie. It's really interesting. 
you should watch it. You will almost certainly learn something because nobody knew anything about this until a year ago. Yep. Which is cool. That's what, you know, that's like the platonic ideal of a documentary is actually spreading information about something that is unknown to the masses. They have yeah. done that. Good job, Quest Love. And like important, unlike a lot unlike the tinder swindler (laughs) which i guess unless you specifically run into the swindler (laughs) in which case that would be pretty important to know who he is i think i i hit my quota for uh crutch stupid documentaries pretty quickly when i did we work into tinder swindler within like a month i have to hold off on that until like november now yeah so it's Only just, good uh, documentaries or not documentaries for me. Yeah, that's one thing. This movie at least feels like it, it's not nearly as like paint by numbers as those other Hulu yeah, documentaries. It wasn't just uh, here. Yeah. Here is the facts, like looking at a spreadsheet, but on like on a TV screen kind of thing. Yeah, I I think it does a great job of taking archival footage and contextualizing it with interviews to say, Hey, this is why this thing that we found is important. This is why you should care. Starting point to go learn more. I hope they make a series out of the rest of the footage. That'd that be would really be cool. great. Just for me. Um, I think I would really prefer it. Cause like, you know, I, I liked this, but it really, the main feeling I got at the end of it was like, man, I wish they had gone more into all the most interesting stuff Mm-hmm. and like maybe had less concert footage as much as it hurts yeah. to say <laughs> i i would love like a major deep dive on the connection between the artist and the radical politics in particular that would be very interesting to me yeah so but yeah i still <laughs> yeah these uh wow wouldn't we like more i think that is uh, a credit to what they've put together here <laughs> Yeah, and I, I do think to some extent the point of the documentary is to get you get an audience yeah. that ordinarily might not have known this or had been thinking about this stuff to think about it, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what we're doing here, right? Three white dudes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is not something that we would normally know anything about. So when we watch something, we learn something. Hey, other people, go also do that. It's good for you. All right, cool. Well... That was Summer of Soul. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. As always, new episodes every Thursday. Uh, next Thursday's episode, Park's Pick, will be uh, The Batman. Well, so I was actually. Oh, are you changing? Well, no, I was going to pull y'all on this right here live. So, oh, God. The Batman <laughs> is now streaming on HBO Max. We could do The Batman, or we can go to a theater and see The Northman. Northman. Wait. It depends we, on my schedule. But yeah. I want to do I would Northman so much rather episode. see the Northman. <laughs> I want to do Northman and I also want to do everything everywhere all at once while it's still in yeah. theaters. But Will and I are moving oh, true. this weekend. Are we going to have time to do that? True. I don't know. So maybe we should do Batman and then we'll do we'll do movie theater movies after we're settled in. That, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. I'm I so really good. want to go see the Northwood, though. It looks fucking sick. I want Batman now. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Don't worry, it's only three hours long. Hey, you can you can vote if you think you can find time to go see an also three hour long movie in theaters. I, I don't mean, know if it's that long. Saturday afternoon, I have time. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, I'm taking part in a mock trial. So, yeah, Saturday okay. afternoon, I'm taking fancy pictures with my family. Batman, uh, it is the <laughs> Batman baby. <laughs> Listen, it's the horny one. It'll be funny at least. It, we'll find at least Robert Pattinson's in it. Exactly. And Paul Dano. Yeah. Ooh, good old Paul Dano. Hey. There will be riff content in the Batman. I can guarantee you that. It's too much riff content. <laughs> okay. Well, that, uh, that was our lengthiest ever. What are we watching next week segment? <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> it's the Batman. The Batman. All right. Uh, f- Find us on all the stuff at Jump Cuts Pod Park on Instagram at Summer Hour underscore Brewing. Will on Twitter at Will Post Words. Me on, I almost said Instagram, but it's not Instagram. It's Twitter at Charlie B Posts. Uh, also, Will on YouTube at Will Johnson. That I believe covers all the bases. Oscar winners. Hooray. All right. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.